This is The Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today, on this episode of the podcast, I have my favorite guest ever. My wife, Angela, is with me today. We're going to talk a little bit about our journey with foster care and adoption. and uh, She's going to talk a little bit about her passion for uh, for foster care and the way that the uh, Lord's really um, opening her eyes to even more to the needs for that particular and important ministry in our own community and beyond. So I'm so thankful and glad that Angela's willing to sit down with me today. Um, Angela has been my wife for almost 18 years. So as of this weekend, it'll be 18 years. God's blessed us with four kids, two biologically, two biologically and two of our children we adopted. Uh, we also have one dog who is my favorite member of the family, except for Angela, of course. Um, but uh, Angela, thank you so much for being with me reluctantly on this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Thank you. I'm almost glad to be here. Almost glad to be here. Yes. All right. So um, you and I have been married for 18 years. Um, just just before our second anniversary, we had our first child, Wyatt. He was born. And then a few years later, along comes an Aubrey, and she was born. And then somewhere after that, and I, I actually don't remember. I don't remember exactly when it was that sort of we really began wrestling with the idea of foster care and adoption. Do you? I don't remember what year it was. I remember that separately we both um, read slash listened to Adopted for Life. Oh, yeah, Russ Moore's book. And um, when I was listening to it, um, because I wasn't as much of a reader back then, I remember feeling the call um, that the Lord was placing in my life, our family's life, that that was an area that we needed to um, look towards. But I wasn't sure exactly, probably because I was scared um, if adoption and foster care was the route that the Lord was leading us or more so just, okay, our, our family's not complete with two children. Um, but I didn't say anything. And then finally, at one point, you and I talked about it um, I kind of had you cornered. Um, Where was I cornered? I don't remember any of this. You were in the bathroom. And ah! I, <laughs> and so I cornered you and finally said, you know, I'm not sure that having another child is really what we need to do right now. I think that the Lord's really calling us to foster and adopt because you didn't really want to sit down and have a conversation because you were just open to whatever. But I needed to sit down and talk about it and have think through all the ifs. Which is kind of the story of our life. Like, I was ready, but you really wanted me to stop, and you you needed to be heard. Yes. Yeah. And then what happened? Um. So then we started the process, which was a long process. So, time out. So, first of all, like for us, so if you're listening to this and you're considering adoption <clears throat> or foster care, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go about adoption. 
So that's that's one thing people, that you can do international adoptions, you can do domestic adoptions, you can do private adoptions, there are adoption agencies you can work with. Um, you and I just really felt burdened about children in the foster care system. And so for us, we pursued the path of foster to adopt. So we, we pursued first foster care with, with the hope that at some point the Lord would give us a child that we could adopt. Is that the way you remember that? Yes. And we really felt like that um, it would be quite a long process as far as, you know, from the time that we fostered children to the time that the Lord placed the child that we were called to add to our family in the home. But what we didn't expect to be a long process was the process of getting approved. Right. Right. So we reached out um, and they sent us a big packet of paperwork. I mean, it was huge. And um, then that weekend um, after the packet came, um, our daughter at the time was four and she fell and broke her femur. And so that all happened at the same time. Yes, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, not so, the connections. <clears throat> huh. So I'm like a terrible father. Really, kind of puts. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> that really kind of puts um, things on hold for a while because we, we had to car- literally carry her everywhere in a cast and back and forth to the doctor's appointments and all of those things. So the paperwork sat for a while, um, and, you know, looking back, realized that was probably some spiritual warfare. But then once we filled out, I think it was legitimately almost 30 pages worth of paperwork, um, we turned all of that in, and then... It sat. Well, some pages got lost, and then we had to wait for all the appointments for... um, DHEC to come to the house, the fire marshal to come. I, I don't even remember now how long. It just took... It, it took us a full year <clears throat> to get approved through the process. Actually, beyond a full year, just a little bit mm-hmm. beyond a full year. And it's important, if, you, if you've ever thought about adoption or foster care, it's important that you hear that because if you're, if you're listening to going, I might like to do that one day. Uh, just understand that your one day... Um, your one day, if your one day is is eighteen months in the future, then the process of beginning that really needs to start right now, so that you can have the things done. Because, um, I mean, like we had to put in um, wired smoke detectors in our house. Not a big deal, but it's just a thing that we had to do. There are classes that you have to take. Mm-hmm. Again, not a big deal. But you have to make the time to do that. There were several, and they were all, like a all day Saturday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you already have children, and you got a family, and you're crazy busy, then just carving out a Saturday here and there is is not super easy. So there were a lot of things like that that we had to do. Right, and and we have friends that have adopted through other organizations. You know, whether it's you know a private organization or overseas. And the one thing that I hear that's the same is that there's a lot to it. There's a lot of paperwork and process. And I will say, even in the midst of it, as frustrating as that can be, looking back, um, I think in some ways, I don't know if it's intentionally, um, but I think it's good that there is so much paperwork and so many hoops to jump through because if you can't get through that part, then once you have a child placed in your home, you might 
you might not make it there either because the, yeah, I mean, the paperwork and the process of getting approved is so difficult. But if that is it's, too it's, much of a struggle, then once a child is It's kind is of a placed, good weeding out process. Mm-hmm, yeah. if, if you're not willing to put in the work uh, to do that, and, and look, we'll get to the, the fun stuff of adoption, all that stuff in a minute, but just a side note, when you get into that process, make copies of everything because um, we're not the only people that go through this process and something gets lost. And, and, and they get lost a lot of times because there's so much paperwork um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, these years later, probably a lot of this is done electronically, I would assume. Um, Angela's shaking her head. Apparently it's not. So um, just make copies of things so that if and when something does get lost, you're not stuck having to redo everything. You've got it. Matter of fact, I, I didn't just make copies. I think I kept the masters and we sent the copies along. Um, so uh, anyway, so we, we, we worked through all that process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what? So then we became um, approved, I believe it was in July of 2015, um, which also, looking back in hindsight, was um, a blessing. And we could just now look back and see how the Lord's hand was in all of it because um, I had gone and started a new job in June that um, allowed me to be able to work full-time, which meant we were also now eligible for ABC vouchers at the time because you had to be working full-time both parents to be eligible for ABC vouchers you gotta tell what that is um sorry those are uh vouchers that the state gives um foster parents to help pay for child care for a foster child so you don't have to meet any income requirements um you receive those if you're working and you have foster children so um that ended up being a blessing that we weren't even expecting um, because I changed jobs and then we were approved in July. And then in September, um, we received a phone call about um, a little baby. And so literally, I mean, you just get get a phone call. You don't get very much information. Um, I borrowed a car seat from somebody went to the DSS office and was given this beautiful little baby boy. Um, They asked me to sign a piece of paper um, that basically gave me his name and date of birth. And that was my proof that I was now responsible for him. Um, I was told to expect for him to be with us for a very long time. Um, And so she conditioned her heart (laughs) for a very long time. Right. And then um, came home, introduced him to uh, Aubrey and Wyatt that were in probably kindergarten and second grade at the time. Um, And we loved hard with him. Um, Our church family really came alongside of us. Um, We had him for six weeks, and I don't think I cooked unless I wanted to at all the whole time we had him. I had friends that would come over and literally just sit and hold him or help fold laundry. Um, It was wonderful. I mean, and lots of people just praying for us, but just lots of different ways that people were caring for us throughout that time, um, especially our church family that came alongside and helped us. So that little guy was with us for about six weeks, and, um, (coughs) and then DSS and courts decided it was time for him to go back home. Uh, and so he did. It was really traumatic. Like it, it really was. Um, the kids 
and Angela in particular had really bonded with that guy. And that's one of the things when we think about foster care, it's it, it it's expected and, and it's easy to, to really make a connection with these children that come into your home. That's one of the reasons why foster care is so hard because not only are these kids coming from hard places, but you know, you, you begin to love these kids that come into your home and and as a result, when they go back home to their their home of origin, it's it's challenging. And so for us, when that little guy left us, man, it was just heart wrenching. And as a result, that was the end of October. As a result, um, I, being the the strong, protective husband and father, I made the 100% decision that we would not bring any more children into our home until after Christmas. Like it was, we were going to make it through the holidays, um, let let the kids recover, let Angela recover, and we we were going to take care of us before we brought anybody else into our home. So that was, I put my foot down. And, and Angela was heartbroken, so she was perfectly fine with it. Yes. But once you are a licensed foster care family, um, because the need is so great, you continue to get phone call after phone yeah, call. They, they really don't care when you tell them you're not going right. to do it. They just start calling again almost immediately. Yes. because And they make you say no over and over yeah. and over again. Because the need is just absolutely so great. And so... The other thing is you're only licensed um, for certain age groups, or, or you can ask to be licensed for certain age groups and certain number of children. So we were licensed for zero to six and for one child. Um, but they would call and the, the caseworkers because harass, they Harass, harass, Angela, it's <laughs> harassing. Doing their job, trying to find... Um, She's a social worker, in case y'all didn't know, so she, all, she thinks all this is perfectly normal. Right. Well, they were doing their job, trying to find loving good homes for these children doing the best that they could um, for all of these kids because the need is just so great so um, sometime in October we got a phone call from one of the caseworkers um, who she was wonderful and she said I have she these... did not call me <laughs> no um, she said I have two children that we are going to be switching from um, reunification plan which means they'd be um they were working towards moving them back home with their biological family um and switching to uh foster care i mean uh adoption and she said one of the children is going to have to be moved again and i don't want him moved one more time unless it's the last final time for him to be moved she said, y'all were talking about fostering to adopt, and I just thought that this might be a good fit for your family. So again, I reminded her that we wanted to take a break. Um, she, you know, said that she understood, but again, <laughs> pushed um, in a polite way, but just wanted to um, continue to talk to me about the, the two kids and said, you know, they were siblings. Um, they were in separate homes, had been for eight months. Um, which is really not that long of a time to be um, in foster care. Um, it's a terribly long time when you're two and three. It is, but I'm saying statistic-wise. I know, but I'm just saying let's be real here. But anyway, so they had been separated, and she wanted to be able to move them and move them into a home together and this be their last time to be moved. So... You know, of course, when she told me that, I immediately said, yes, just bring them to me. Um, and she said, 
you know, this is not the way that that works. You know that. And I said, I understand. Um, let me talk with my husband, but I'm pretty sure that this is something that we're going to do. I said, but we're only licensed for one child. And she said, ah, that's nothing but a piece of paper. We'll figure that out. And literally she did. Um, but I picked up the phone and called Craig and talked with him about it. And And I reminded you that we signed up for one child. Mm -hmm. We were going to be a family of three. So I said, we signed up for one kid. That's all. And I said, I thought we signed up to share the love of Christ with uh, children in need. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I ended up calling the caseworker back um, relatively quick and said we had decided that we would start the process and that we were interested in, you know, meeting them because she had offered to let us meet the children, um, you know, Looking back, the way that we kind of got snuck into the office, we probably were not supposed to be there to meet them. They people probably were not didn't know that we were coming there to do that. But she warned us um, before she came. She said, "Just know, once you see them, um, that'll be it. They're they're really cute." Um, and it was so yeah. we 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 walked in and, and we saw them. They were they were having their little play date that they did twice a month, right, with each other and. Um, at this and, point, it was November. Okay. And uh, so I, Angela and I were able to walk in the room where they were and speak to them a little bit and play with them. And Brooklyn uh, climbed up in my lap, and she stroked my beard, and she said, Are you going to be my daddy? And I said, Well, I guess I am. <laughs> I guess I absolutely am. And so um, uh, the process then for, for them became pretty quick. Uh, so Sloan and Brooklyn, those are our, our two youngest kids, who were separated at that time. Sloan was um, needing to be moved uh, for for reasons related to the family he was with, need to be moved pretty quickly. And so um, we, we met them. Brooklyn was in another home. She was in a good place. Uh, it was going to take a little bit longer for that transition. But Sloan ended up coming to us the Tuesday before Thanksgiving in 2015, right? The Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a uh, unique thing. Uh, Wyatt, our oldest son, was actually away. He had already had a scheduled trip. And so we bring Sloan into our home with only part of our family there. And um, he was wide open, just um, uh, two and a half years old and 100% boy and uh, just just a literal butterball of energy and frustration and all the things. And then um, so Sloan uh, goes and does family Thanksgiving with us. We come back. There were a couple of visits that we had with Brooklyn. And then somewhere around about December the 12th, 15th, I'd have to go back and check my, my um, journal. I could tell you exactly the date that Brooklyn came to live with us. She did an overnight with us and a couple other visits. And then she came to live with us. And, and just understand that when we talk about like foster kids coming to you, we, like, we picked up Sloan at the DSS office, we picked up Brooklyn at a Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's it's a little weird uh, the way that those things often go about. But Brooklyn came to us, and uh, we we kind of thought, and this is probably, we, it's taken us forever to get to this place, you kind of think that once you get there, the hard part's over. But the reality that we soon learned was that their hard part and our hard part was really only just beginning. Because mm-hmm. uh, these are two kids that came from tough places, uh, been through a whole lot, and now all of a sudden we've got We've got to try to bring these two families together. 
and try to find a way for us to all love one another, to, to really mesh and to bond. And that that was hard, right? I mean, it was really hard. So they come to us right at Christmas time. And uh, like one of the craziest first things that happens is uh, because they were in foster care. So we, we knew we were getting, we'd already bought all the Christmas. We bought Christmas for everybody. Uh, so we bought Christmas for Sloan and Brooklyn and Wyatt and Aubrey and all the gifts were there. Well, because Sloan and Brooklyn were in foster care, what we didn't know was that they had all these other gifts that were coming to them. And so we get this call and, and we've got to go and pick up these gifts. And I drove my truck to the DSS office to pick up these gifts and literally, literally filled my the cab of my truck up with gifts. I called Angel on the way home. I said, we, we've got a really big problem because... <laughs> Sloan and Brooklyn were going to get like twice the Christmas gifts that, that White and Aubrey were going to get at least twice. Mm-hmm. And so everybody got the greatest Christmas ever because I got home and we looked at everything and, uh, and Angela said, well, just go fix it. And so I took her orders and I left and I drove to Columbia and I bought more Christmas gifts for Wyatt and Aubrey. And we had like the biggest Christmas ever at our house that year, but it, but getting to Christmas Day was hard. Christmas Eve was one of the hardest days of, of my life. Um, I've written about that before, but I mean, it's, you know, the pastor goes and preaches Christmas Eve service and then comes home and screams at his kids. And it was just really hard. Life was really challenging. We're in the middle of lots of struggle, but God was so gracious. You remember that? Mm-hmm. So Christmas Eve and the days leading up to it were really hard. We were We went to bed just exhausted and dreading waking up. I mean, honest and truly dreading Christmas Day. But Christmas Day was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it was actually scary because I, I was not sure how we were going <laughs> to go and be around all of our family, with you know, two new children and all the different things that were going on and the different dynamics and and all of the stuff. Um, and as bad as the days had been, I just wasn't sure how we were going to go and function in front of people. Um, you know, two and a half hour ride to the upstate to go and see family. And, um, but anyway, Christmas morning, it was a Christmas miracle (laughs) (laughs) and, and things were wonderful that day. I mean, it was, it was great. Those were very good days, thankfully. And so Sloan and Brooklyn were with us as, as legally as foster children for a, not quite a year and a half. So from, the fall of 2015 until uh, February of 2017, Mm -hmm. that they were technically, legally speaking, they were foster children. Our our adoption day was February the 10th Mm -hmm. of 2017. That was, we we had a big party. We we had a big court date. It was wonderful. That was name change day. Um, And so, you know, Sloan got to be Sloan David Thompson, and he was super excited, and Brooklyn got to take pictures, and Wyatt and Aubrey were just troopers through all that. I mean, we, we was, it was a wonderful day, and we can look back. But really and truly, working toward that process was uh, was hard. I mean, it was really hard. And so Angela's going to share just a few stats about the need for foster care and, and adoption, maybe in our state and other things. Because as, as we're talking about this, we want to tell you our story, but we also want you to know that that we we need more people to do this because there are so many children in need. Um, and, uh, I mean, look, we show you our photos and our pictures, and it looks like it's just fun and rainbows, okay? Uh, so we want you to think about that while you hear these stats, and we'll give you the other part of it in just a minute. So what are some of the, the stats related to foster care and adoption? 
So currently in the state of South Carolina, we have um, about 3,760 um, children in foster care. And then in our county alone, we have around... That's Kershaw County. Yes, our county, Kershaw County. Um, we have about 120. Um, somewhere, I know that there is a stat about how many foster homes we have in the county. Um, on this, uh, the DSS website, it says around 65. Um, but the last time I talked with some caseworkers, it was around 40. So I'm not sure where the discrepancy is. Well, you remember the discrepancy comes from the fact that just because that, that number often includes everybody that's licensed, but not everybody that's actively receiving children a lot of times is, mm. is some of the issues there. Like, for instance, we were still listed as a foster home when Sloan and Brooklyn were already there, so that was no longer an available an available right. home. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, obviously, the need is great. Um for having foster, you know, foster homes and, and individuals that come alongside and minister to foster families. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how many individuals we have in or homes that we have in South Carolina, but I do know that if everyone um, that are involved in uh, churches would step up, that we would have more than enough to be able to support um all of these children we wouldn't have the need for um dss workers to be having them stay in their offices um which is uh, something that was happening um in our own county in kershaw county um just earlier this year um because there was nowhere else to place children yeah, there weren't enough foster homes so a child would come into dss custody because that child had been abused or neglected or, or whatever and there was nowhere to take the child to. So literally that child just ends up living for a few days at the DSS office, mm -hmm. um, which is just an office. It's not a, it's not a sleeping facility. It's, it's just an office and, and DSS workers are rotating time to, to provide care for those kids. Right. And so you've got workers that are already overworked, you know, definitely understaffed, um, having to pull extra duty where they're now responsible, not just for making sure that these children and families have resources that they need, but also then, you know, taking care and, and making sure they have a safe environment um, and, you know, have, have other just physical needs met. Um, so that's definitely um, an issue that has been brought to my attention even more so now that I work with our school district as a school social worker, just um, seeing the need for foster homes and um, hearing caseworkers talk about how, because there's a lack of placements here in our county, not only are these children being removed from their home, but they're also being removed from their schools and their community because they're having to be placed in other counties. Um, if there's, you know, foster home available, they'll, they'll just have to place them wherever they can. Um, so that's heartbreaking. And then we have children that can't stay together and are separated because we don't have, again, enough foster homes. Um, and Or, you know, they're just not willing to take multiple children. We're not able. Not able, yeah, yeah to take multiple children. Um, so those are some things that have really just been brought to my attention, brought to the forefront. Um, and so, um, 
you know, it's really opened my mind about ways that people, because as we were foster parents, having lots of people tell us, oh, I could never do that. Y'all are saints. Y'all are this. Y'all are that. <laughs> Which makes you feel very uncomfortable when you know, <laughs> if you lived in my home and probably... I mean, you're me. married to a saint, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> but heard, you know, the things that go on in our homes, you certainly wouldn't think that I was a saint. But um, there are just ways that people, especially the body of Christ, can come alongside and help foster families, you know, um, certainly prayer is one thing that everybody should be doing for um, these children and then the families that they're placed with and even their biological families, um, you know, because some of them, you know, may just need some support to be able to get their children back. But also, um, one of the things that really helped us out was people bringing food over. Hold on, hold on. You're getting ahead. We can't get there yet. you got to be patient. Okay. You're getting way ahead. Okay. All right. So we're going to come to the things people can do, but we need to explain why they should be doing this. Right? Okay. All right. So if y'all could see the eye daggers that I'm getting right now, we should do this by video so people can see just exactly how it is that you're judging me. Mm -hmm. why, why, Why should we be involved in foster care? So you, you've, you've shared the need, mm-hmm. but let's talk about a few of the things that um, scripturally that, that should drive us there. First of all, God cares about orphans. James one twenty seven says, Religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So God cares about orphans. So we, we know that. Uh, orphan care is pro-life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you and I obviously are very, very pro-life, very, very much against abortion. Um, But we also recognize that if we are going to be pro-life, we're going to be pro-baby, then we've got to be pro-homes for children. And Mm -hmm. so foster care is is a pro-life. Orphan care is pro-life. Orphan care is a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many children, I've honestly lost count. We should go back and check. How How many children have I baptized here who who have been adopted physically or, or adopted into a family, and then we see that they've been adopted in the body of Christ as the Lord has saved them, mm-hmm. that we've seen that that orphan care result in salvation. And if these kids aren't adopted by Christian parents, there's, there's no hope for that. And, I mean, I think we counted up the other day, there's either 15 or 16 families in our church that... That we know of. Right, that we know of. I say we, you did that. I'm, I'm certain that we've missed some, but, and that's just families. That's not counting all the, you know, separating it out with individuals, but 15 families, 16 families, excuse me, that um, have fostered or have adopted or fostered and adopted or are in the process, well into the process of fostering or adopting. Um, and that's that's all different ways. That could be international. That could be private, um, through DSS, um, through kinship. Um, kinship means that um, that's a when a child is removed, they're placed with either a family member, um, a close family friend. It could even be a teacher. Um, that's still kinship care. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So, and and. The state has made um, great strides in providing additional support for those families um, so that they can can get some financial support, um, Medicaid, those types of things. And, and that's one thing. We'll, we'll come back to a few of those other things in a minute. But if, if you're you're terrified about the cost of foster care, um, I mean, it's not free. 
right? I mean, it, it, you got to take care of children, but their 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 medical their medical needs are covered. Um, you know, you get you get a little bit of a, a financial stipend. It, it doesn't pay for everything, but it helps to offset some of those costs. So, truth of the matter is, if you you can you can afford to foster, it's mm-hmm. it's not cost prohibitive for you to be able to do that. Um, so so don't don't allow that to be an issue. Um, but anyway, so we, we talked about how God cares for orphans, orphan cares pro-life. It's a gospel issue. Also, if you belong to Jesus, you've already been adopted. The Lord has adopted you. And if you have been adopted, then you've got the opportunity to share that same love towards somebody else. I, I remember, I, I do remember now, I had forgotten. I listened to Adopted for Life on audio first. And... Uh, um, he, he in that book, Russ Moore wrote, writes that he spoke John fourteen eighteen over his boys before he was able to adopt them, which is, I, I will not leave you as orphans. I was running. I remember where I was running, and I had to stop because I just stopped and cried when I heard those in, in that moment. And so we adopt because we've adopted. He didn't leave us as orphans, and we're not going to leave them as orphans. Um so those are some good reasons, but, and this is where Angela was trying to get to, but I didn't want you to steal all of my thunder. Let's just assume that you're a person that says, man, that sounds awesome, but I just don't think I could do that. So how might a church, so we had the incredible benefit and blessing of a church coming alongside us. How might you be able to come alongside somebody, even if you don't think that you are called or able to adopt? So um, several ways that people helped us was, like I said, cooking meals for us. Um, they would come over and um, sometimes even uninvited. <laughs> and they would sit and, like when we had the baby, they would sit and play with him. Um, I never had to worry about where my kids were. Um, like if we had to go to court or to do any of those things, places that we couldn't take the kids, I had multiple people because we don't have family that lives we don't have like biological family but we have church family um that live here and so i could just pick up a phone and call and i knew that my kids were taken care of didn't matter how late we were in court because it always ran late um or what was going on i knew my kids were taken care of they were safe and they knew that they were loved and there was nobody that was making a distinction between biological children and foster right. children. Right. They took care of our kids. Right. They just took care of, of our kids. And that was, you know, any of the kids that we had. Um, you know, I, I remember people coming over and folding the laundry. Um, Y'all can still come back and do that, by the way, if you're interested. <laughs> um, I also had um, our children's minister um, come to me and tell me that... Um, I was fired from my children's ministry positions at the time, which, you know, took me back. You know, I, just, I was like, you know, what in the world? Have I done something wrong? And she said, no, um, we're just uh, going to let you take a break and let you be ministered to for right now. But we're just going to let you go from all of your positions um, because that's where I enjoy being is in the children's ministry and um, anywhere behind the scenes. And see, you're behind the scenes right now. Nobody can see you. Right. So you're having a fun. We can count on you to do this again sometime. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, um, but just different ways that I was taken care of. Um, and I've also been talking with um, a group, an agency called um, Fostering the Family, because they have 
um, ways that they help churches put some of these things um, in a more organized fashion to be able to help um, create care ministries um, for foster families and adoptive families. And some of the things they were talking about was, you know, cut the grass for people or do they need, um, you know, somebody to go and pick up their groceries. Like if you've done a grocery order, can somebody go and pick up groceries? So just different things um, like that because we all have different gifts. So if you don't feel like you're being called to necessarily foster or adopt, there's still ways that you can help come alongside those that are called to do that. When I talk to people about um, about our church, I generally say that I have pastored here. So we, we've been here uh, in May. It was 16 years. and I, So I've been the pastor at Malvern Hill for 16 years. But what I usually tell people is, is I've, I've, been, I've been here 16 years, and for 15 and a half years I pastored the church. And for about six months this church really pastored us because that, that process of of blending our families. It was hard for longer than six months, but that that initial six months was intense. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's challenging and we don't want to turn anybody off from doing it. Please do it. It's worth it, I promise. We're we're on the other side and uh, my our family wasn't complete and now it is. And um uh, it is, right? We're done. Okay. Uh four and no more. Um but uh we think it is until one of y'all comes along and tells us otherwise. But um it was really hard, and it was such a blessing for us to have a church that came alongside us. And it was all the things that Angela just said, but it was all those things and more. I mean, it was it was the fact that when we showed up at church, and of course, you know, I would I, I have all the things I've got going on, but Angela could come to church, and somebody would just take the kids and minister to the kids and allow her just to go disappear for a while, uh, whether that's in a life group or sometimes probably just to come sit in my office where it was quiet for just a little while. Uh, but they, they, the kids were being incredibly well taken care of, but we were being taken care of. We were prayed for. We were loved on. And and that's not just because we are the pastor's family. Without a doubt, we get a little bit more attention than other people do, but we've just seen other families in our church go through similar processes, and the church does that. And it's, it's just so important. So you know, especially if, if you're 65 and you're listening to this, you're like, I just don't think I could I could bring children into my home. Uh, I just don't think I could foster around it. Okay, but you could you can cook dinner for one of those families in a difficult place. You can sign up to be on that meal train. You can cook it three weeks in a row if you want to. You can just provide that care. We had we had a lady that would occasionally come grab our kids and just take them somewhere and take them shopping and mm-hmm. spend you know stupid money on them at the dollar store that we you know we just I, I had zero desire to do. But they would just they think that was the best thing ever. Um, that, that that kind of stuff would happen. So uh, just know that uh, you've got a role to play even if even if you're not the foster parent on the front line. You can pray for those families. You can meet their needs. You can care for them. Uh, what, I mean, was there anything that stood out to you other than folding laundry that somebody did for us? I mean, I think just being there and willing to um, listen and not, I mean, there are some people that we had um, that I could share some of the really struggle, like hard times and struggles because some of it was just really, really hard and know that I didn't feel judged. I wasn't judged for, you know, the stuff that I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I remember reading a book. There's a, there's a book, it's called Ordinary, 
um, by Tony Merida, I believe. And there's this passage in that book where he talks about um, their adoption process and talked about his his wife and how um, she she never struggled with with uh, with language like her her personal language like cursing until they began in the adoption process and she said and then out of nowhere I found myself just struggling with the right words I remember reading that to Angela and she just looked at me like I know right I mean I, got, I totally get it yeah yeah and and just having people that I could I feel like I could just be honest and open about how hard this was and not feel like I was having so many people go well but this is what you asked for um you know you asked to bring these children into your home and now it's hard um and so I had those people that I knew that I could talk to and they were just okay with it um and they just loved us through yeah and as you think about that how important if if you're listening to this and you're thinking that you might want to foster I mean how important is it to go and find you a strong faith community right now. Like if you're not plugged into a to a church where you can find that, you need to go find it today. Mm-hmm. You need to find those people that you can establish relationships with because hey, there were periods of time, especially in that first six months, when we felt like horrible parents. Oh yeah. I mean, we we were we were short tempered, we were sometimes depressed and miserable. If people hadn't known us before we started into that process, they might have just assumed that we were bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, or that we were terrible parents, or that we were just mean or depressed all the time. But at least we had people that could look at us and go, "We know, we we know the other side, and we know that we're going to get there, and we could walk that process together." Right, and yeah, and and when Craig says to find a faith community, a church to be a part of, not that there's anything wrong with going to worship. That is certainly where you need to be, but a small group is. Yeah. That's what you need. You need, you know, we call it life group here. Um, That's what we needed. We needed our life group. And then, of course, we had some others that weren't in our life group that that still came alongside and helped us. And, I mean, you know, I look back and I can think about, I I can think of, you know, two handfuls of people that would help us. And I knew that I could call them in a moment's notice. Um and they would do whatever we needed, um, whether it was hard physical labor or um, just, you know, sitting there and listening to me cry and want to pull my hair out. It happens. Both extremes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right. So let's talk about a few things, um, uh, just just the realities of foster care. If you're thinking about orphan care, we'll, let's, let's go with orphan care. So it's foster adoption. Uh, it's hard. Like, I want you to know that it's hard. We had a, a family that joined our church not too long after we began in our adoption process, and I, I visited with them and uh, learned that they were they had just really were early in their, their process. And um, and I just looked at this mom. I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. Your life must be really hard right now. And I'll never forget, she just looked at me, and she said, why would you say that? And I said, because, like, it is. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of it. It's It's hard. And she just cried. She said, I, I, I didn't know anyone else understood. Mm-hmm. So don't don't buy don't buy the lie of the, 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 the DSS pictures or the foster care agency or the adoption agency. It's worth it, but y'all, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard in ways that you can't I remember there was there was one time when Angela looked at me and she said, I I'm afraid that we've ruined Wyatt and Aubrey's life. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. 
or is it more than once? No, we've we've talked about it more than yeah. once. And I mean, we constantly talked with them. You know, are y'all okay with this? I mean, prior to um, us being licensed and everything. that is important. Like we, we, we brought them into the process. Yes, yeah, we constantly. Well, yeah. because they they had to be interviewed and and all of those things. Um, and so we constantly had conversations with them about, you know, are y'all still okay with this? Is this still something that y'all are okay with doing? Um, <clears throat> so we, we wanted to make sure that they were a part of, of all of that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to scare anyone off from it, but I do feel like it's good to be realistic. We had a really good um, lady that, um, I think her name was uh, Renda or um, Rena. That was her name, Rena. Uh, Craig mentioned earlier we had to take some training, some classes, all-day classes. And Rena taught um, one of those classes. And I remember her talking to us about just how difficult being a foster parent was. And she had several foster children. And we were like, Psh, not for us. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, you're sitting there going, I can't, I mean, how hard can that be? I mean, you're just bringing another child into the home. It can't be that hard. And so she started telling us different things. And she was... Not ugly or, uh, you know, unkind about anything, but just some definite realities. You know, she's like, you think you're going to be able to bring a child in and love them and that's going to be all that they need. Um, but that's not true. And, um, you know, this is going to be hard and you've got to take it serious because these are not like some, these are people. It's not just something you go and purchase and you can return them with a receipt. Um, and so that was good for me to kind of hear on the front end now i didn't fully take it all to heart yeah i don't think we really i think that was one of those we got in the car we're like yeah you know yeah but then you get in the middle of it you go she she knew what she's talking about Mm -hmm. so so it's hard Uh, and i think it's lonely and and we at times felt lonely and we are in the middle of a i mean honest and truly a wonderful church family where we have great support so when we say it's lonely um we we don't say that for our friends and family to feel offended uh, but it just feels lonely. Um, somebody, one of our foster parent friends put it this way, unless you're living it, you really don't understand. And sometimes you just don't, you feel like you're on an island all by yourself. And, and there's a spiritual warfare component. The devil wants to convince us that we are. And be careful because when you start feeling like you are and believing that you are, then next thing you know, you put yourself on an island. Then you're really in a mess. So uh, it, it can feel lonely. But even when you feel lonely, do me a favor. Don't, don't run and hide in a corner. Um, you, know, you don't have to do foster care by yourself. You, you you need the help and the support. Um, you, you I just can't say it enough. You need a church family. You just need them, and you need that small group. Uh, we even, I mean, I personally had friends that I went to because I, I had fears related to it. I, I had a fear that I might one day uh, show favoritism toward my biological children over against my my adopted children. I, I, I went to some some men who were friends and said, if you ever see this in my life, please, please call me out in that. So we, we need those things. Um, now I, I tell my biological children, I tell all of our kids, actually, I tell White and Aubrey, like I had to have you, I didn't have a choice, but I, I remind them that I chose Sloan and Brooklyn. I wanted them. So, uh, you know, if, if, you're a, if you're an adopted child out there, just know somebody wanted you. Um, and if White and Aubrey are listening to this, I, I, I want you now. But at the time, we weren't sure. Um, they're not going to listen. They're not. They might. Um, <laughs> if you're one of their friends, let them know. Um, you're going to get tired of being bragged on. You remember this? You remember how tired? Like people would look at us and go, "Oh, y'all are just wonderful." And it's like wonderful. I just screamed at my kids 
five minutes ago because of I don't even know why. I don't feel wonderful. I feel like a horrible human. You never felt that way? Yeah. No, it was it was very uncomfortable and awkward. And you want to tell them, please don't thank me for doing something that I feel like the Lord called me to do. And I do not feel, <laughs> I do not feel like I'm doing it very well. It was very sanctifying. It, yeah. I mean, like, like you find out things about yourself that you wish weren't true. I mean, we, both mm-hmm. of us, right? I mean, there's, there's that process of the Lord using... Using that to to really change you and to to mm-hmm. shape you and mold you. I mean, it's kind of like marriage. I mean, you know, you think you know a person until you move in with them, and then that's you know, once you're wait a living, minute, hold on, wait, wait, hold on. wait, 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 wait. I'm we're talking marriage well, is sanctifying. I'm just saying we're talking about how hard this was, and then you immediately went to that when you married me and moved in with me. I didn't say specific. that's what everybody's going to think you said. <laughs> I like to think that that was actually the easiest thing you ever did in your life. The decision to marry you was easy. Ceremony was easy. But once you move in with a person... Your life just got better every day. <laughs> living with somebody is just sanctifying. And when you add more people into your home and into your family, it is it is sanctifying because, you know, you're... I think you just learn more about yourself and not just... You know, it's not just about their flaws, but your flaws as well, because none of us are perfect. So what's the best part about about adoption? Um, Is it not having to go through labor? <laughs> no, because aspects of this were harder than that. Um, but knowing that um, Sloan and Brooklyn um, have a forever family, and um, knowing that they were a- that they're able to be together, <laughs> um, not just you know because they're a part of our family, but you know. You um, remember, you remember how excited they used to get like when they were still living separate from one another. They get so excited yeah. when they saw each other, especially Sloan. Like he would just go through the roof. Okay, because he was so surprised that Brooklyn was still there. Oh yeah, the first time up. she mm-hmm. spent the night with us. Yeah, she, he woke up and he was like, "Oh, she's still here. She's still mm-hmm. here." Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, I just can't, because at the time, you know, Wyatt and Aubrey were still little-ish, and thinking about how hard it must, you know, it would have been for the two of them to be separated as close as they are, and then having to think about how hard it would be for Sloan and Brooklyn to have been separated all that time. Um, so, yeah, that was, that. I think, them being able to be together. Um, and, I mean, of course, now... We've get, gotten to see all four of them get baptized, um, you know, continue to grow in the Lord. I mean, not every day is peaches and cream, but I don't think it is for any family, regardless yeah. of how your structure is. And so if you're listening to this, somebody's listening to this, and they have two children, you know, a dog and a spouse, and they feel like their family, we just couldn't do one of those big families. You know, what what, what do you say to somebody, that their, their biggest concern about foster care is like, what, how do you manage four children? No, we just do it. Um, <laughs> like, it doesn't seem that hard, right? I mean, no, it's. I mean, it, it really isn't. Now, I mean, right now we're in an easier season. You know, May all, was hard. May May was hard, but everybody's you know self sufficient. They can. It gets a little easier. Some aspects of it get yeah. easier as they get older. Um, 
but I just go back to having our um, our small group and church family and, and close friends that, you know, sometimes there were days when I would have to call somebody and say, hey, can, can you grab my kid from whatever event or school or whatever? And we would just rely on people to help, you know. And moving past that mommy guilt too, right? There's more mommy guilt than daddy guilt, but just little things like trusting grandparents to watch them for a weekend and just being okay with that, you know, even if, you know, even if they might, you know, set their grandparents' house on fire. I mean, that's that's not our problem. Grandparents, are in, they, they, they create these problems all for themselves, right? So I've heard. So we've heard, yeah. So we've heard. So, yeah. yeah and I, I, think, I think that is a big thing is whether you have grandparents, you know, like we're very blessed. We have grandparents on both sides that, that can and are willing to help watch our children. Not everybody has that. Um, I mean, even though ours are two and a half hours away, that's really not that far, and they can come and do. Um, but finding a way, figuring out people that you trust that can watch your kids so that you can go somewhere and get away. You know, I mean, last summer, you know, Craig and I went to Alaska, um, and so the kids were uh, with grandparents. This for, summer, we may go to Calpins. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, but just having faith and trusting that, um, you know, it might, might not be done the way that I would do it, but, um, you know, nobody died and the house is still standing, so it's really okay. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, uh, we, we actually have a lot of people like, I don't know how you do it with four. And, I mean, the reality is, you know, love doesn't divide, it multiplies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with, every, with every child, I, I, I was afraid when... After Wyatt was born, I didn't know how in the world I'd ever love anybody, any other like child like that. And then Aubrey came along, and I realized, oh, I love her just as much, believe it or not. I mean, as difficult as that child is. Um, and then Sloan and Brooklyn come along, and then boom, like I, my my, I I don't, you know, you and we don't you don't love your children. It's not like I have this big big love, and then we just split it four ways. No, I, I had it, and then we just multiplied it four times, and mm-hmm. so. There's that aspect, and you just find a way to work. You know, you find routines, you use mm-hmm. calendars. I mean, we we share online calendars, and now that Wyatt and Aubrey are older, they they participate in that with with their their phones and their calendars, and so we we share calendars, and a lot of communications necessary. And um, and I mean, the other part is like everybody's got a part to play. We they've got to step up and handle their business, but uh, you can do it. You know, don't 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 let the fear of uh, of a large family, and remember, once upon a time, a family of four wasn't considered that large of a family. Mm-hmm. But don't let the fear of a large family keep you from uh, from taking this step, man. It's it's fun, it's exciting, and the good thing is when there's four of them, two more show up, you don't even notice hardly. I mean, right. we had two extra people at our house last night, and you don't hardly even know when you have that many people already. I'm gonna have two extra ones here in a little bit. There are more people come to our house. No, I'm taking them to go buy some candy. Oh mercy! All right. So, um, all right. Um, any uh, any last last advice for anybody that might be considering foster care, or maybe for somebody or orphan care, or or maybe a, a word for somebody who's not considering it. Um, I think if someone is not considering it, um, I think it would be good to you know just look at the some statistics on the DSS website, um, and then. Read Russ Moore's book, right? Read Russ Moore's book, um, and then get out in whatever community you live in. Um, You don't have to go far to see the needs. Mm. Um, I think being able to 
I, I don't think intentionally we put ourselves in these bubbles, but we do get in these bubbles and we forget that there's all of this other stuff going on. If I wasn't a school social worker, I wouldn't know half of the things that I know um, and the needs that I know about. Um, and so I think it's easy. I don't think people do it intentionally, but they just don't realize what what the need is. And so um, get out and about and see what the need is. And for me, as the guy who was absolutely convinced that we were supposed to have one child, you know, as the guy who knew what we were supposed to do, um, just be open to God knowing more than you do and to changing your plans because um, I was wrong. And I, I still love to aggravate the kids, but I know good and well that my life would not be complete if we were not that family of four and um, or of six, I guess, with, with both of us. And so the, the, to see the way the Lord has, has really brought us together. Um, time's run long on us today. I'm really grateful for you tuning in and listening to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Of course, I'm grateful for Angela being a part of this with me. I'm trying to sweet talk her into doing a couple other things. She's much wiser than she gives herself credit for. But uh, for those of you that listen, do us a favor. If you would, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review. It really helps us to get the word out. Share this with somebody you know who might be interested in foster care or adoption or any other kind of orphan care. Share it with somebody um, who might not know that they need to be interested in orphan care. Share it with your pastor. Share it with others in your church. Uh, help us to spread the word. A lot of kids that need to hear about Jesus. A lot of kids that need to be welcomed by loving arms. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Hope to see you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.